The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word, if you brought a Bible with you, and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, we've been walking through this book together. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the uh, passage will be on the screen. But uh, if you do, I invite you to turn there. It's important we, we walk through books of the Bible, verse by verse, because we believe that this book is the very Word of God, that God has spoken to us, and that this is not just a routine that I run through to give you some encouraging words for the week, that we come before this book as the very words of God, and we need to hear from, from Him what He has spoken. And so we invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, in just a minute, we'll read verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. This is one of those uh, times when those whoever divided the Bible into chapter and verse, uh, in my opinion, stopped one verse too soon. Uh, I think chapter 10 probably should have gone through uh, 11, verse 1. They didn't ask me, so we'll just you know, go with it as, as it is. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 23 through 11, 1 is where we'll be. Now, how many of you like to do construction type things? Pretty handy? I don't like you already. All right. uh, I am not, uh, actually I do like you because I'm not very good. Uh, I, I can tear things up, uh, but I'm not very good at building things, at constructing things. Uh, if, if we go to a project and they say, okay, this project, first thing we have to do is we've got to tear all this out, I'm your guy. Uh, give me a sledgehammer, whatever the case may be, and I will, I will tear something up. But when you say to me, now we have to build this back, we have to fit this in here, we have to cut this precisely so that it, it, it joins together so that it's nice and, and straight and it's all square and it's got to stand up and it's got to support weight, and no, <laughs> I'm not your guy. I look at guys like, like Brian Curran and uh, Clay Hendricks and um, these guys that, that build these things, the stage that was built for VBS this week, I did my best to tear that thing up all week as I was playing Sir Wally on it, and, but, but I can't do that. I'm so thankful for guys that can. I look at people like uh, David back there in the booth who takes those tractors and restores those tractors and, and brings something out of what someone else would say is maybe just a rusted piece of junk. Uh, I want to ask you a question today. Is your life a construction crew, or is your life a wrecking ball? The Bible here speaks to every believer that our lives are to be construction crews. And let's look at this passage together, and we'll find out what, what I mean by that. Beginning in verse 23 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it 
For the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before your word, and we have already prayed multiple times in this service, but God, now I pray, God, that you would speak. You've already spoken, and it is recorded for us in the pages of Scripture But God, now I pray that through me, your preacher, that you would speak to us the words of life. For your own namesake, amen. This morning, we come to this, and and Paul has been talking to them about their insistence on wanting to eat in these temples. And last week, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the previous section, where Paul says to them, Flee from idolatry. Don't eat in these pagan temples because what they sacrifice to idols, they're really sacrificing to demons. And so he deals with this there, and he says, you cannot participate in the worship of demons in going to these temples. These temples in their culture, in their city, were almost like restaurants in our city. Uh, Meat was was butchered there uh, outside of the altar to these pagan idols, and what was left over was sold and it was even served out of the back of these temples as restaurants. Well, Paul deals with that and he says, don't go. But then there's a loose end that he has to tie up. And he says to them, beyond that, some of this meat is going into the meat market. And he wants to address that. Now, if you're familiar with Paul at all, you know that sometimes Paul writes just stream of thought. And and some of the things that he writes, you have to sort of wade through. You have to decipher through because he'll start something here, have a thought that it comes in midstream, write about that, and then come back to what he was originally saying really without giving you any warning that he's changing. And that's the case here. As you just read this, it almost seems jumbled up. It's hard to understand what he means. He starts out with an observation. He uses something that they're saying, turns it around, he makes an observation. Then he gives an example, and then he's going to give uh, uh, this imperative, and he's going to come back and then give purpose as to why. So this sermon this morning, I tell you all of that to tell you that we're not going to simply walk through in order the verses that are here before us, but we are going to touch on all of them. We'll have to start in the middle, go backwards, go forward, but hopefully you'll be able to follow with me as we go along. First point is this. As Christians, there are some things that are absolutely forbidden for us to do. And this is we saw last week. Verse 14, where he says to them, uh, flee from idolatry. Verse 21, he says to them, uh, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. His point is there are some things for Christians that are absolutes. They are essentials. We cannot participate in them. Apparently, at some point, Paul had, in a sermon to the Corinthians, used these words, all things are lawful. They were taking, some of those there in Corinth were taking his words and using them to justify whatever they wanted to do. 
Paul never meant to say, everything's on the table, do whatever you want. What Paul was saying, and he explains it in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, that when he said that, all things are lawful, he was talking about those gray areas where the Bible has not specifically called something sin. Those things that we're free to do or we're free not to do, those things are lawful. They're of no benefit. They're of no consequence. They are simply what they are. But they were taking these, these words and using them to justify whatever they wanted to do. Um, it, it, Paul makes this point rather clearly. In chapter 6, verse 12, when he says to them, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I won't be enslaved by anything. Just before that, he makes a point to say there are some things that are not lawful. In fact, in chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, he says to them, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's point in all of this is to say that there are some things that are absolutes. They are off the table. We cannot, as believers, participate in them. And we know this. Uh, Those of you who have grown up in church, you've heard these things all your lives. There are some things that as a believer you just cannot do. You cannot participate in these. Your salvation is not dependent on those. But if you are truly saved, you you, you won't participate in these. You can't participate in these. For instance, some things that in any circumstance, in any time, are wrong. It's never going to be right for me to worship idols. Never. It's never going to be right for me to commit adultery. Never. I can justify it all I want and say, well, you know, my my wife... She's just, you know, she's just not there anymore. She's just not meeting my needs, and therefore I've got, to, you know, I've got these needs, and I've got to have these needs met. And, and, and you're going to say, no, 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 no. No, you can't justify this. That's wrong. I don't care what you're doing. That's wrong. It's never right to commit adultery. It's never going to be right for me to abuse my children. It's never going to be right for me to pull for the Gamecocks. I'm just saying, you know. I think that's in there somewhere. I don't know. There are some things, I kid about that, but there are some things that are absolutes that we cannot touch. We cannot do. If we take the name of Christ, we cannot do these. Okay? Then, second point. In other things, we are absolutely free. You look at verses 25 through 27. He says, Eat whatever is sold in the market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever's set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He's just said to them, flee idolatry. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of idols. He's told them, stay away from eating in these temples. But then he points out to them and he says to them, "In, in the matter of eating... You're free. It's not meat that's the problem. Paul's point is that once the meat goes to the meat market, it's just meat. That's why he quotes Psalm 24.1 when he says, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. 
God owns everything. He's made it all. He's made it good. This is the same phrase that's used when when Moses goes to Pharaoh after the seventh plague, the plague of, of, of hail falling from the sky. And Pharaoh says, I've really messed up this time. And Moses says to him, I'm going to stretch out my hand and the hail will stop and you're going to know that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Pharaoh, you're going to know that you're not the boss, that you're not God, that God owns it all. Paul wants them to understand that in this matter of eating, they are absolutely free. It's not meat that's the problem. Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 7, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? That Mark 7 passage even has a a little qualifying addition there at the end of that that I didn't read to you that says, thus he named all foods clean. Jesus here is saying food's not the issue. Paul did forbid them from eating in the temples because they would have been participating in demonic idol worship. But once the meat goes to market, it's just meat. Therefore, he tells them not to worry about it. He says, when you go to the market, don't go to the vendor and say, uh, that meat there, was that sacrificed in a, a pagan temple? Was it sacrificed to idols? He says, there's no need to. Just buy whatever you want in the market and eat it. It's not the meat that's the issue. He says to them, if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you want to go, when they bring the plate to the table, don't ask them, wait, before I eat this, was this meat sacrificed in a pagan temple? Just eat it. The food's not the issue. You're free here. And just like there are some things that are absolutely off the table for us, that are forbidden, they are absolutes for us as believers, there are some things that are non-essentials. There are some things that we can participate in. There are some things that are liberties. They're neither good nor bad. They don't defile us, nor do they commend us. They're just what they are. They're just given by God, and they're liberties. We're free to do those. There are all sorts of things that would fall into this gray area. Things like playing cards. How many of you are from a generation that remember maybe your parents, your grandparents, saying, you can't bring those playing cards in my house as long as you're under my roof. Anybody remember that? Yeah. Anybody dancing? Baptists, we don't dance. Now, that's probably for another reason. Um, We probably can't dance, but, uh, you know. But we're free to. Things like R-rated movies, going to Disney World, having a drink, mowing the grass on Sunday, being a Clemson fan. I'm an equal opportunity offender, you know. You're free to do that. Um, But he says not all things are helpful. Not all things are going to build up. You're free in some of these things to participate. But they're not all going to help you. They're not all going to build up. Just like the Corinthians. Here's what the Corinthians were doing. The Corinthians were taking these things and they were saying, there are some things that are absolutes, off limits all the time. And there are some things that we're free in. And instead of looking at those things for what they were, instead the Corinthians there in Paul's day were flipping those. And they were treating absolutes like liberties and treating liberties like absolutes. 
And the church is really no different today than it was then. We still in this day get things mixed up, don't we? Don't we take what God never meant to be absolutes and make them absolutes sometimes? Don't we take what God meant, uh, never meant to be liberties and treat them like liberties instead of absolutes? I want to make my third point to you this morning from the passage. Treating absolutes as liberties leads to pride and confusion. Treating absolutes as liberties tr- leads to pride and confusion. Let's go backwards in our text this morning. We looked at 25 through 27. Look at verse 23. He says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. They had misunderstood Paul's intention. He was speaking of liberties, these gray areas when he said all things are lawful. Not of these absolutes. He was speaking of non-essentials, but they were applying his words to essentials. They were taking things like idol worship and sexual immorality and arguing for their rights, their exousia, to practice such things. They were saying, why can't I? 1 Corinthians 5 talks about a man who has his father's wife. And the church is arrogant in it. They're proud of this. They're taking what is an absolute God has said no, and they're treating it like a liberty and celebrating it. And at the same time, they are taking what is a liberty, and they're treating it like an absolute. And this was leading them to become prideful. This is why Paul says in verse 22 of our chapter, Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? This is what was going on. They were taking what God had said and twisting it to meet their own lifestyle. And Paul says to them, in doing so, this is making you proud. You think you are stronger than God himself. You are giving your worship to other things. And God is a jealous God and will give his glory to no one else. It was leading to pride. Other weaker believers and those outside the faith were confused when they saw the the Corinthians treating absolutes as liberties. These new believers in the church would look in and say, but I'm I'm confused because I thought God said this, but apparently the church says this, and so what am I to believe? The world looked in at this church and said, that's a confusing bunch. Chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So treating absolutes as liberties leads to pride and confusion. The church was not being helped. The church was certainly not being built up by this. It was division. What happens when, when sin is going on inside the church and it is being tolerated? Well, more sin breaks out. People choose sides. Division occurs. God's name is defamed. The church is not being helped. The church is not being built up in this. They're treating absolutes as liberties. And it leads to pride and confusion. Fourth point today is this. Treating liberties as absolutes also leads to pride and confusion. When when we take things like God says here, it's not food that condemns you. 
eat. When we take that and we make rules about that, we are treating these liberties as absolutes, and God never intended that. This is 29 through 30. Look down there. The last part of 29, he says, Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? This is what was happening to Paul. Paul, in other situations, was to the Jews becoming like a Jew, to the Greek becoming like a Greek, to the weak he was becoming weak, so that by all means he might reach some for the gospel, right? Well, in so doing, when he was with the Greeks, he would eat like Greeks, and when he was with the Jews, he would eat like Jews. They were accusing him of hypocrisy and breaking these laws. They had taken liberty and made it absolute, and they were giving Paul a hard time about it. And, and Paul's saying to them, you can't do this. We've all had this happen to us, haven't we? We participate in some act that God has not neither condemned nor has he commanded, but we're just free to participate in this. We've just done this, and we've had somebody pass on us unfair, unnecessary judgment. Has that ever happened to you? happened to me. If we're honest, we've all at some point been the one who's been passing the judgment, right? Every one of us. We look at someone else and we say, I can't believe they're doing that. I, I would never do that. And what we do is we put ourselves up on a pedestal and then we put ourselves beyond the grace of God and now we are the ones who give grace or withhold grace. And this treating liberties as absolutes leads to pride and confusion. We draw lines where Scripture doesn't draw lines. We become legalistic. Legalism causes us to become prideful. We become confident in our own goodness when we compare ourselves to other people, don't we? It's easy to look around and find somebody else that's worse than you are, right? And say, well, you know, at least I'm not doing that. And it causes us to become prideful. We put ourselves on these many thrones of judgment over other people, which is never a place that we were meant to sit. Legalism causes us to become prideful when we draw lines where Scripture never draws lines. Legalism also causes confusion, especially among new or weak believers. Somebody comes into the church, they come by the gospel, and all of a sudden there are all these new rules and regulations, and it convolutes the gospel. They came simply trusting Christ, but now they're being told, now you've got to also do this. You've got to be circumcised, or you can only eat these foods. And they're confused. Some of them, over time, are even drawn away. They're drawn away from the simplicity of trusting the gospel alone to now they're trusting in these things to keep themselves right before God. This is what 1 Timothy speaks of when Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 4. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and, and the teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to, to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, are you free to marry? Absolutely. According to God's guidelines, you're free to marry. If you're already married, you're not free to marry again. If 
you're thinking about marrying someone of the same sex, you're not free to pursue that. But if you're, if you're in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex and both of you are pursuing this, you're free to be married if you are single. It's, it's a freedom. You don't have to. It's not commanded. But it's certainly not condemned. You're free in this. We looked at this earlier in 1 Corinthians. It says to them, some are going to be drawn away because there's going to be some that are going to forbid this. They're going to draw lines where Scripture doesn't draw lines, and you're going to cause confusion. Now, here's where I will end today. We've looked at that there are some things that are absolutes for believers. There are some things that are liberties for believers. When we treat either of those as the other, it causes pride and, and confusion. But when we treat absolutes as absolutes, and when we treat liberties as liberties, it leads to love and edification. Verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Verses 28 through 29 says, But if someone says to you, this is for the sake of conscience, uh, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. This leads to love. When we treat absolutes as absolutes and liberties as liberties, let me show you what I mean. We should indeed strive to be holy. Why? Because God's holy. God says, be holy, for I am holy. Therefore, those things that God has said are absolutes. We must avoid what He tells us to avoid, and we must obey what He's told us to obey. Not in order to be right with Him, but because through Christ He has made us right with Him. We strive for holiness. The Bible repeatedly tells the church to discipline sinful behavior among its members. We saw this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where this man has his father's wife. And Paul tells them, put this man out. Don't associate with him. Turn him over to Satan. He says, don't associate with anyone like this who takes the name of brother or sister. Treating absolutes as absolutes leads to love and edification. When the church, made up of, an indivi- of individual Christians, strives to live holy, what happens is the church is built up. In a book that I'm walking through with our deacons, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, by Mark Dever, um, Mark Dever writes in there about the Southern Baptist churches in pre-Civil War days. In the pre-Civil War days, the Southern Baptist churches every year excommunicated 2% of their membership for sin that they were refusing to repent of. 2% of the membership was excommunicated every year. Not without going through the process of seeking to restore them, but if the person was obstinate in their sin, refused to repent and trust Christ, then the church would practice church discipline. 2% every year. Mark Dever goes on and he says this, Jesus intended our lives to back up our words. If our lives don't back up our words, the evangelistic task is injured, as we have seen so terribly this last century in America. Undisciplined churches have actually made it harder for people to hear the good news of new life in Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, that doesn't, I don't think that jives. That's just Mark Dever talking. 
I mean, if a church excommunicates 2% of their membership every year, I don't see how that helps the church grow. I don't see how that would build the church. Did you know that pre-Civil War Southern Baptist churches excommunicating 2% of their membership every year grew at a rate twice that of the population growth? Why? Because they took holiness seriously. Because they treated absolutes as absolutes. Because they understood that there was to be a distinction between the world and the church. Not because we've got it all figured out and we're better and we're perfect, but because Christ has changed us and is changing us and calls us to holiness. So church, hear me on this. If you want to help the church, if you want to build the church, the best thing that you can do is not come up with marketing schemes. It's not to apply business principles to how we manage and run the church. The best thing that you and I can do is to take seriously the call to live holy lives. Because what happens when that takes place is a watching world looks at us and becomes curious enough to ask questions as to why we are different. And it gives us platforms for the gospel. If we simply create a church culture where it's okay to be who you are. In fact, this is what we've done largely in America in the church today. We're a long way from the pre-Civil War church. Instead, today, most of our churches, we're teaching people to simply accept who they are. To be okay with, with what they're involved in. We allow them to stay in their sin. In fact, sometimes we enable it by creating recovery programs that simply comfort them in their sin instead of confronting them in their sin. We should be people that strive for holiness. When we strive for holiness, not perfectly, you will mess up. But when we take seriously this call to be holy because our Father is holy, the church is built up. Love is fostered. We should be people that seek to be holy. Also, we should be people that treat liberties as liberties. Too often we treat liberties uh, not as liberties. Instead, we treat liberties, things that God has said you're okay to do, you don't have to do, they're just there. Instead, sometimes we treat them as rights to be demanded instead of privileges that can be laid down. And this is Paul's point in this whole passage that is somewhat hard to follow his train of thought, but this is his whole point. I read to you a minute ago, verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Verse 28, he says to them, look, if you're there at this meal, you're invited by an unbeliever, and you sit down at the table, don't ask, has the meat been sacrificed to idols? But if someone there speaks up and says to you, this meat was sacrificed to idols, then don't eat the meat. Why? Because probably that person who has spoken up was either, number one, an unbeliever or a believer who is a weaker believer who's bothered in his conscience that it's wrong to eat meat sacrificed to idols. God says it's not the meat that's the issue, but this, this believer, he's not there yet in his faith and he doesn't quite understand and, and his conscience is bothered by this. So for his sake, since this is a liberty, it is a privilege, it does not condemn you or commend you to God, lay it down. Just... Forgo eating the meat for his benefit. 
The other possibility is this person that's there who's pointed this out to you at this dinner is not a believer, but he's an unbeliever. He's an unbeliever who thinks that Christians have to eat certain things or not eat certain things, so he's innocently, sincerely trying to help you not fall into sin by eating unaware. So for his sake, don't eat the meat. Paul says to them, treat this liberty as a liberty. Don't demand your rights. Be willing to lay it down. He says to them, eating meat is a liberty. Lay down your right for the sake of the one who informs you. You can eat again. But you may never have another opportunity to seek the good of this one who informed you. By laying down our liberties for someone else's sake, we show them love. This is the point of John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for a friend. So, what's the point of all this? The point is, God wants our lives to be construction crews, not wrecking balls. Many Christians are living their lives treating liberties as absolutes and treating absolutes as liberties. We come to things that are neither condemning us before God nor commending us before God, and we could lay them down to serve our brothers, our sisters, the watching world, but instead we think that we are entitled and owed something, so therefore we demand our rights, and we don't want to sacrifice at all. And Paul says, be willing to sacrifice. We come to things like absolutes where God says, don't do this, or Follow me in this. And we treat that as if it's optional. As if it doesn't matter. And we're not serving one another in doing that. We should be models. This is Paul's point, and I'll show you this. I'll just ask you this question, and I'll follow out the rest of the passage. How should we live? Number one, to the glory of God. This is what 31 says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Ask yourself in that moment, can I honestly do this to the glory of God? Is this an absolute that I am forbidden to do? If it is, then I can't do it to the glory of God. Right? The man years ago who said to me, God made me how I am. He understands my my desires, so therefore it's okay for me to have relationship with this woman outside of of marriage. We, We can't do that to the glory of God. We must say, if it's an absolute, I obey the absolute to the glory of God. I cannot disobey to the glory of God. Secondly, how should we live? For the good of others. This is his point in 32 through 33. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. We should live in such a way that we say our liberties can be laid down for the advance of the gospel. And third, how should I live? By following the example of Christ. What better place could we see this in action than in Jesus? Who who took 
what he did not have to do, but took it on anyway for the sake of those whom he loved. He showed us love by leaving heaven. Paul says in verse, chapter 11, verse 1, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Christ left heaven when he did not have to. He took on flesh. He became a man. He lived as you and I live every day. Went through the same things that you and I go through. Only he did it without sinning. He earned righteousness. And at the end of his righteous life, when he had done nothing absolutely wrong, when he had fulfilled all of what God had called him to and sent him to do, what does he get in the end? The cross. The death that was meant for you and for me because we are sinners. Jesus, the innocent, goes to the cross meant for the guilty takes the punishment that was meant for us upon himself. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. His righteous life is credited to us. Our death because of our sin was laid upon him. The wrath of God fully poured out on him for our sin. Where else can you see a better picture of someone laying aside their own rights for the sake of others? Where else is there a better fulfillment of let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor? Nowhere is that seen like in the gospel. Live to the glory of God. Live for the good of others by following the example of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this passage is a difficult one to track and follow through. It is your word, and God, we thank you for it. God, I pray now that you would use it, speak clearly, draw people to yourself, call us out of sin, call us into holiness not to perform in order to win your favor, but because, God, we have your favor in Christ. There is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with you. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. But, God, because Christ came and lived a righteous life, we who trust in him are indeed righteous. Lord, make us in our practice what we are in reality, what you have made us in ourselves. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.